welcome to Women Talk Work. I'm Claire Conroy. Women Talk Work is all about exploring the diversity and complexity of Australian women's experiences of work through interviews with interesting women about what they do and why they do it. Today my guest is Sarah Moran, a self-described passionate super nerd. Sarah started her career in a dream role doing work experience on Triple J's breakfast show with Adam Spencer and Will Anderson before going on to study journalism at QUT. Sarah is an early adopter of new technology and has worked in a range of digital communications and marketing roles, including at Virgin Blue, Tourism Queensland and Tourism Victoria. She currently works as communications manager at QUT Creative Enterprise. In addition to her day job, Sarah almost always has one or several side projects on the go. These side projects allow her to use and develop her super nerd skills and experiences and also provide her with the opportunity to work with people she feels connected to and inspired by. Her latest side project is Girl Geek Academy, which organises workshops, intensive weekends, online courses, hackathons and maker-fests with the goal of increasing the number of women with technology skills. On her LinkedIn profile, Sarah describes her work with Girl Geek Academy as have fun and get shit done. And this philosophy underpins her general approach to work. Sarah is smart, creative, a super connector, and brings enormous energy to her work. You can find her on Twitter at Sarah Moran. That's Sarah with an H, M-O-R-A-N. Sarah joined me from Brisbane for this chat, and we talked about how place has influenced her career and vice versa, the role of side projects, how she feels about job titles, finding your tribe or seniors, and her approach to career planning. I hope you enjoy it. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Women Talk Work. The first question that I like to ask all of my guests is um, if you're at a a barbecue or some gathering and you meet someone for the first time and they say, what do you do for work? How do you answer? Oh, well, thanks, Claire, first off, for um, having me. I think it's uh, such a cool thing that you're doing. Um, but yeah, I always find that question weird. And so um, I often, you know, you just turn around and go, why are you asking that question? <laughs> Can't you think of a more interesting question to ask at this amazing barbecue? <laughs> but um, no, look, I, I, I always say that I'm in marketing and I say that almost as a bit of a cover to see do they really care <laughs> right. about what I do or are they just being polite? So, um, and marketing is one of those things where it's just like, oh yeah, marketing. And people go, mm-hmm. and they either ask more questions or just are happy with the fact that you do something that involves being the extrovert that I obviously am and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and whatever that looks like. So that's, yeah, it is a bit of a cop out, but that's, that's what I say to start off with. And so, so if someone is interested in, in what marketing actually involves, um, how do you explain it? Yeah, so um, I've transitioned through many roles in my time that have all had some sort of marketing component. So I guess that's, you know, I describe it that marketing is the con- the constant. Um, and then at the moment I say, well, I'm working um, at a technology accelerator and I get to market the businesses we work with and marketing the programs that we run. Um, and the way that I do that is often very innovative Um and, you know, it isn't just about putting out the monthly newsletter and printing some flyers, but sometimes my marketing involves, you know, face-to-face turning up at events and saying, 
hello, my name's Sarah and this is what we do, mm. um, through to, you know, um, some more nerdy stuff that I really like, which is, you know, how do you, t- with, with, you know, little budgets, how do you target really good digital marketing campaigns that, that get your message across to super niche, niche groups of people? Um, and I, I tend to do the whole lot. So, yeah, that's... I guess again, then you go, okay, have I still got them? Have I still got their attention? Oh, you've got <laughs> my I, attention. Yeah. Um, so a couple of questions that I had were um, about the the marketing you've done. They said that it's been a constant throughout your career. Do you have to care about the thing that you're, that you're marketing? And if so, how have you chosen the kind of projects or roles that you've worked on? Um. The answer is yes, I have to care, but it's not like I have to. I, I could do the job, but just me personally, I, I prefer to care. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I'm, not, um, I'm, not, I'm not stupid enough not to recognise that I'm privileged in being able to choose jobs that I care about. Um, mm. I feel like I've – I was thinking about it the other day about like when you think about the digital divide and all these gaps in knowledge that – I'm on the wealthy end of digital knowledge mm. and, um, you know, I'm lucky that I'm a passionate super nerd and that I get to sell that to other people and bring them along on that journey. So, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, yes, I'm always passionate about technology and so that's why I've sort of, you know, always worked in a digital field in some way and I've practised mostly in marketing because it's, it's I don't know, it's the catch-all phrase that I can put in what I do but... Mm. Yeah, um, I know these are very sort of vague answers, but I've been very lucky to care about the things that I worked on. Actually, of all things, okay, of all things. Mm. Last night I matched with someone on Tinder, Claire. Oh, right. Um, yes, he was he was quite a looker. Okay. And, um, you know, you have your first couple of conversations. So we're having this conversation, didn't even get to what do you do for a living, and he brings up the fact that he hates Melbourne. Oh, that's right, he had a Melbourne guest. He said, oh, hate Melbourne, and I just – sent an emoticon that was something along the lines of a shocked face <laughs> and um and he was like oh I, I don't really I don't really hate it I, I just resent it and I'm just dot 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 and uh and then I had to come up I'm like well look to be honest I had the privilege of being Melbourne on Twitter Melbourne on Facebook and um yeah and if I didn't love that I couldn't do that job like if I did not love Melbourne as a city I don't think I could have done that job because I was you know, eat, sleep, breathe Melbourne 24-7 and um, I'm privileged to have been able to do that. But uh, also if I didn't love that, I think I would have gone crazy. Yeah. So like that it's really hard to represent a brand where you don't actually care personally. So what does being Melbourne on Twitter mean? Uh, Well, so uh, each, each different city has their own approach to what's the right thing to, right way to do digital marketing. But, um, so I was working for tourism Victoria, we had the Twitter handle Melbourne. And so, um, basically I was pretending to be Melbourne as a person. And in the way that Melbourne would do that is that they would just, um, you know, make little social commentary, but like revealing things about the city. So, I was a hipster pretending to be Melbourne. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, you know, and uncovering the latest food and whatever else, but in these quirky sort of ways. So, yeah, I I kind of want to do a, a comparison to another city, but I won't because that would be rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just, um, yeah, I guess luckily enough I feel like I'm a Melbourne person. Um, 
and yeah, so I, it was quite natural to me to be on Twitter. Um, so you're you're now based in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things that I wanted to ask about the role of place, and you you've moved around a little bit in the last few years, and I'm curious as to whether that was um, work motivated or was whether that was personally motivated, and how the intersection of those choices about um, where you live impact on the work that you did? Yeah. So I grew up in Lismore, which is a country town in the north coast of New South Wales, and I moved to Brisbane for uni. Um, I did journalism and I was – so the year I started journalism was the year that YouTube was invented. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with the idea of, you know, how much this would change the face of media and what would that look like. And I remember talking to people in my cohort and my teachers about it and they were like, oh, we we don't really care. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I nerded out all through my journalism degree and the first job that I got was the social media person for Virgin. Um, Because in Brisbane, the, the professional scene, I guess, is really about who you have your beers with on a Friday rather than you know, um, like that, it's a very close knit networking community if you can tap into it. And, um, and yeah, I just had a guy going, oh, I think, I think I should talk to you about, about a job. And yeah, I got, got placed in there, which was really good. Um, and so in that way, Brisbane, uh, really afforded me very quick, accelerated career growth because it's, you know, when it's not what you know, it's who you know, because at the time no one knew anything about social media. So I was the one who knew the most, but still wasn't a lot. Um, but yeah, putting myself in the right place at the right time was very easy and um, not easy. It still took a bit of effort, but it was quite, yeah, I could have accelerated career growth quite quickly, but then equally as quickly, I hit a bit of a ceiling and um, wanted that next step of growth and was tossing up between San Francisco and Melbourne and um, a job came up doing pretty much what I was doing at Tourism Queensland at Tourism Victoria and to to do that. So that's when I moved to Melbourne. And then in terms of moving back, you know, um, Melbourne's really cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so the other thing was that my sister was having a baby and um, growing up in a country town, you know, family is everything and it's, you know, it was even hard to leave the first time. But the opportunity came that I could take a job in Brisbane and um, and I did and so I've been around now for two years in Brisbane but I'm actually about to leave again because um, growth has stalled for me again here a little bit um, and I'm just a bit hungry and I want to go and I want to do the San Fran move. So. <laughs> oh, so you're moving to San Francisco, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm be moving, um, yeah, sort of hopefully first-ish quarter next year. Oh, um, so still locking that in. But again, um, I, I have felt that place has been really important in terms of growth opportunities and that sort of thing. Um, I've been pulled back here for family, but then they're like, okay, you've been around for a while. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, go head off again on another trip if you want to. Do you think they can see that you're, you're kind of itching for that, that you're ready to go? Yeah. And I think, um, the reason I didn't move overseas the first time was because they didn't understand. And now that I have been back for two years, they can see the frustration that I feel being here. And um, yeah, my mum in particular it has been really supportive. I think it came from a conversation that I had with her where I said, you do realise that if I if I don't do this, I'm never going to shut up about it. 
And she just went, oh, I don't want to hear that for the rest of my life. You should go. <laughs> you should go now. Yeah. And it just it swung her around. She was completely supportive. She's like, off you go. Yeah. Um, you know, because your family are really supportive of what you do, even if they don't understand it. And um, that just sort of helped her understand the level at which I needed to, I need to do that. So, yeah, yeah so it's, it's absolutely both. So, like, career growth can stall in certain places or it can be accelerated and that's tied to place. But mm-hmm. then your personal demand for wanting more, yeah, it's personal and career as well. I mean, and for me too, I'm single. So I'm very conscious of the fact that um, the population of Brisbane is a settling down population. Like that's it's a lifestyle choice to live here a lot of the time compared to Sydney or Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so for me I'm, I'm yeah, I'm just kind of like, well, I'm, I have tried for two years to find a partner here and haven't. So I may as well be somewhere else trying to do that and and accelerating my career growth at the same time. So, sure. yeah. Um, so when you signed up for journalism, um, did you initially enter that career thinking that you would have a traditional journalism career path and then that kind of deviated once you discovered the internet and, and could geek out um, or... Or, or were you never particularly wedded to the idea of, of, of journalism in its traditional sense? Um, so I was I, I was very lucky. Um, I started originally doing a law and international business degree because growing up in a country town, um, you don't know much about going to university unless there's a university in your town. Um, there was one in Lismore, but it didn't really have much on offer at the time. And um, so when I first moved up here, I just did what smart kids did, which was law. Yeah. And um, and I hated it and I dropped out and I ran a Boost Juice bar for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in that state, I was like, well, how, how do people work out what they want to do when they grow up? Like how do you test that? Who who advises you on that when you don't have your career advisor anymore? And so I spoke to a friend of mine who was in Sydney and she was a year older than me and we'd been debating together through high school and stuff. And she said, well, I guess you should try and get some work experience. And the day she told me that, the um, serendipitously, the uh, work experience placements were opened up at Triple J. And um, I scored a spot on Triple J Breakfast with um, Adam Spencer and Will Anderson. And the first day I was there, I walked in and met Andrew Denton. And I was like, holy, holy shit, that Mm -hmm. is the trifecta of people I admire in my life right now. Um, And I really, really wanted to do radio. And the closest... The closest thing I could find, like a, a university degree that would get me on the radio, was a journalism degree. Um, it turns out you don't just study radio for three years, which is really depressing. Um, so I had to learn a whole heap of other stuff as well, which, you know, is obviously very valuable. But, um, yeah, that road, radio is my first love. And if I thought that I could really, if that was a growing industry and I thought that there would be innovation there, then I would, um, then I definitely would have been able to stick it out. I mean, now it's great to see things like Gimlet Media mm. and um, everything that they're doing, and you know, things like like us talking now. The fact that we could find an audience because of the internet and you know really do that, I, I think that's amazing. But at the time, it was just pre all of that happening. People didn't know that that would be an option, and yeah, so, so yeah, so I did the traditional journalism degree, and kind of always looking to hack along along the way and that was probably where I first started doing my side project stuff okay can you talk about that what was your first side project um yeah oh so the first one actually was um 
when I got to university, I got an email that wasn't meant to go to me. It was just meant to go to uh, business students, but I got it for some reason. And it was asking for people who'd like to be mentors for people who move from a country town. And um, we set up a thing called Dude, Where's My Uni? And um, we took kids on a bus all around Brisbane and showed them this is how you catch the bus. This is where the train is. This is what a city cat does. Um, you know, this is where you can drink on a Thursday night or, you know, um, here are some other people you might like to meet to set up a share house. And, uh, yeah, just because that's the sort of thing I would have loved to have had when I first moved to Brisbane. And, um, yeah, through that, that stuff I found people who cared about what I care about um, and they're still to this day very, um, very much involved in, in my sort of career mentoring, I guess, because when you find passionate people who give a shit about what you give a shit about, um, it stops you thinking that you're crazy for wanting to do something about it. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to, let's delve a little bit deeper into this side project, yeah. um, idea. And it was something that I was particularly keen to talk about, as we mentioned before we started recording. And certainly it's been my experience too, particularly around the TEDx Canberra event yeah. to to do that and then be connected into a network of people like you who, you know, who kind of like get how you think and they're passionate about something and you can have the satisfaction of creating something um, that that is realised when sometimes at work, you know, you're working on projects for years and years and years and they never quite see the light of day, to work on something where you're where you're having more influence over the actual outcome, um, I found hugely rewarding. And so I'd love to hear, I guess, some more about your experience in, um, in doing those side projects because certainly my perception has been that they've, that you always have something on the go. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's almost like a mental health thing, you know, if you had mm. to just... Um, actually, to the point where, um, so I saw a counsellor um, just this year because I did get a little bit stressed at a point and I'm like, well, you know, when you bite off more than you can chew, stress tends to happen more regularly. Mm. So I wanted to know how to deal with that. And one of the last things I said to him was, oh, like, should you go to the counsellor reg- regularly? Should, you know, <laughs> I know that our sessions are sort of finished, but I'm going to America and I hear everyone there has a counsellor, like, mm. you know, and we we talked about you know, these networks of people that I've got around these side projects and they're like, well, isn't that counselling for you? Like, isn't that sort of peer support really what you're looking for is those regular check-ins? And um, he couldn't have been more right. The um, That sanity check you get from people who care about you and think like you is just, um, it's beyond, <laughs> beyond um, your money, money can't buy that sort of um, that relationship you get with people. And um, you don't get that with your nine to five colleagues um, because it's usually you need support from them. <laughs> mm, yeah, an escape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so I've done that a lot and to the point where it's a healthy habit for me to have a side project, um, either an independent one or, a, or one that is collaborative, though mostly they tend to be collaborative. And they've spanned things from, you know, like the rural uh, rural and regional support stuff through to, um, so I, I volunteered with Reach Out, um, which is the Youth Mental Health Service, and we organised to do a tour called the Reach Out Road Trip. And um, myself and five guys, five of us, yeah, no, four guys, I think, we travelled from Brisbane down to Adelaide um, over a three-week period and went and stopped at youth centres and schools and um, were were being advocates for the mental health service reach out, um, which was amazing. But 
we found that we would just tell people our idea and because we weren't getting paid to do it and we just wanted to do it, people were so supportive. Like we got the van sponsored, we had um, the Foundation for Young Australians were really supportive of it and, um, you know, just people wanting to help you make it happen and you don't get that in a day job. Um, You know, there's always bureaucracy or politics or whatever that gets in the way but if you're just doing something um, in your own time and for a good cause, people are usually really happy to help so I've kept it up (laughs) and so what's your current side project that you're working on um so Girl Geek Academy is probably one of the major ones um that's on the go at the moment so we run all female hackathons um called She Hacks um all female maker fests um called She Makes and then we do an all day you can make a game in a day and we make uh, we do She Makes Games. Um, so we're running Girl Geek Getaway in January where we'll have our annual planning and we'll work out how to do things better, um, work out what we say no to because that's been really challenging because everyone thinks, oh, Girl Geek Academy, you teach girls stuff. Can you teach my girls this? Mm. Like, oh, we really need to be clearer about what we don't do um, because otherwise when you are volunteering, it, you know, yeah, we're volunteering but um, – yeah, there's intention. It's a project. It's not it's not volunteering for everyone all the time. So, mm. yeah. And so what's your role in the um, Girl Geek Academy? So it's funny, you know, this is um, – it occurred to me the other day. So we haven't actually defined it as roles. So we've got a co-founding team of five, which if you follow Startup Speak, they say, oh, you should have three co-founders, and it's usually the hacker, the hustler, and the hipster. So the hacker is the coder, the hustler is the entrepreneur, and the uh, hipster is the designer. Um, and we found that we we all overlap in two of those pretty much. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we just we have a, um, a co-tap group and we just collaborate, um, yeah, and sort of support each other. So depending on where the gaps are, I guess we all just jump into fill bits and we really don't have defined roles, which is really unique, but for some reason it works. <laughs> Um, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile before we um, before we did this interview and I, I noticed I think that your description for that particular role is have fun and get shit done. <laughs> and um, and that strikes me as like I can say, oh, yeah, th- that, that would fit. And that strikes me as probably the philosophy that you bring to a lot of the side projects that you, that you do. They're just about making it happen but doing it in a way that's actually really fun and creative and inspiring. Yeah, I think um – I mean, other, otherwise, why else would you give up your recreational time unless it was recreational? Mm. Um, and that's not to say it isn't serious play. It's just, um, yeah, being, uh, yeah, I'm currently working in a space, uh, like a building that's full of creative people and you just realise that creative people need to create um, and sometimes we're restrained in our nine-to-five being able to do that. Like, I mean, even you creating this podcast, it's um, mm. you have to do it to get that, um, reward, you know, that sense of, no, no, I'm, I'm getting something done in the world and I'm having fun doing it. And it's a, it's a healthy feedback loop loop to have. Otherwise you'd come home and watch Netflix and, uh, and then go back to work the next day. (laughs) Um, which some, for some people that's, that's rewarding for them. It's just that that's not how I'm wired. Um, yeah. So you, you see these, you don't consider these side projects as, as work. No, but that doesn't mean they don't contribute to professional development. So yeah. they're, they're almost, I don't know how to, I'm trying to think of a of a visual for it, but 
they're almost like the glue between projects. So, um, you know, they help me get other jobs. They really do because um, I don't like it when some jobs, they don't want the whole of me to participate. And what I mean by that is you leave your side projects at home and, you know, at work it's work and side projects are side projects. Not that I would ever work on side projects in work time, but don't ignore that that's my expertise. <laughs> yeah, it's contributing skills, it's contributing networks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And especially, uh, you know, being that I am in quote-unquote marketing, there is a lot of people power in that, um, which a lot of people don't see. Um, I find it really interesting when people go and they see a marketing campaign or they see something happen or they see an event like TEDx Canberra and go, oh, yeah, I could do that. Mm. But what they don't see is everything that happens behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you must see that in, like, the whole tech space all the time. Like, oh, yeah, oh. My, my sister's boyfriend's cousin knows how to do websites. Surely it's yeah. not that hard. That kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, and it's just like – and you just kind of go, yeah, all right, go for it, buddy. Mm. Like, <laughs> have a red hot go. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess um, all of those networks and things I bring with me, and that's, that's actually probably where I'm a bit shit in um, – selling myself in job interviews because, um, you know, when, when you go in for a job interview, I can say, well, these are the things on paper that I can do, but that really doesn't represent what I bring to a role. Um, you know, and, and, and it's also really hard to work out whether an organization wants the way that I am to be the way they fill that role. (laughs) So how do you do, how do you go through that process of, of, I guess your, you're being interviewed for a job, but you're also mm. interviewing the organisation to assess that fit. What's What are the things that you look for in an organisation that, that gives you the sense that, yeah, this is somewhere where I think I could make a contribution? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good question. I, I have fucked it up a couple of times. <laughs> I have to put an explicit warning yeah. on the podcast now. But that makes me cool, right? I can have that little yeah. E in iTunes. Yeah. You could leave it out, but I recommend you leave it in. Um, yeah, you know, you, d- you don't always get that right because it's such a hard thing um, to work out. But I definitely, you know, it's like you can Twitter stalk people and, and whatever else. And the teams that I have chosen to work with, they, they're they okay with that and they you can tell that they, they understand what, uh, some of the things that mean stuff to me. So, so when you say Twitter stalk, like Twitter stalking your prospective colleagues and yeah, 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 and you can sort of you can you know who's on the interview panel? Do they have a Twitter profile? If not, why not? Or is there another network that they're active on? Or um, I mean, mainly because I'm going for digital roles most of the time. So I've worked out I like to sit on the edge of things. Um, once something starts becoming mainstream. I'm just not really that interested anymore. Like uh, with the Innovation Nation agenda that's sort of been announced this week, I'm like, oh, startups are, might be becoming mainstream. Oh. <laughs> I'll find something else to do now. <laughs> yeah, you know, because um, yeah, I do like championing things and saying, hey, guys, pay attention to this really cool thing. I, I think I think you will like it. <laughs> but yeah. then when, when people have already worked out it's cool, then, um, you know, your mum wants to start a startup and you just kind of don't want to do that anymore. I'm kidding. My mum's awesome. If she wanted to start a startup, she follows me on Twitter. <laughs> Yay. Um, but you want to be at like discovering the next thing and yeah. advocating for it and pushing it um, 
into the mainstream, I guess. Exactly. And again, that's where that marketing umbrella um, is really handy because if you're in marketing and you don't know how to reach people in the most innovative ways, then, you know, you're just um, possibly not the most cutting edge marketer. So that's where I can hide under that, (laughs) under that label again. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, again, I, I know that I'm really privileged to be able to, um, to be able to interview companies. Like when I'm, Mm. when I'm going for the job interview, I'm, I'm not unaware there's a privilege there, but then sometimes that, um, imposter syndrome sneaks in (laughs) like, Oh, oh, I I need to impress them, you know? And, and so you want to ask the questions that sort of suss that out, but at the same time, you know, everyone fears rejection, right? It's, um, Mm. you want them to like you and to want you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and I find, I just wish it wasn't hard. I feel like it's, this is probably a bit wrong, but I feel like it's a girly thing to do, you know, to just be like, oh, please like me. Mm. I, I want to impress you and I want to do everything right and I want to I want to get an A-plus mark for this interview, please. Because, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. And then they get me as an employee <laughs> and then mm. they realise that, I'm sorry, I'm going to disrupt your organisation. <laughs> there will be no A-plus. Um, you, you will get uh, accelerated growth. <laughs> Uh, but I, I assume that that people, um, while you're Twitter stalking them, they're Twitter stalking you, and so they know what they're getting. I assume, um, and that's one of the like. I guess your disruption um, is actually an, an asset rather than a a liability. Yeah, and that that's true most of the time, um, but um, yeah, I guess. You know, Have you had experiences where it's you felt that it's there's been a mismatch? Um, it's not that it's a mismatch. It's just that when you deal with it every day and in real life, <laughs> it being me, mm. um, <laughs> you know that can be tough to manage if the team's not all in that yeah. that sort of space. Or um, yeah, like sometimes I I've I've struggled to be supported necessarily because not you know while while a manager might have hired me and understood what I'm up to it doesn't mean that the team's there yet um and that can you know because you can't <laughs> you can't work out in advance necessarily whether a whole team functions in a way that you're going to fit in yeah. um and if you can that's great um yeah I, I have you heard the term seniors oh no um Austin Cleon, I think I heard it from him first, but a senius is like a, a collective genius and it's like the genius that emerges from a scene of people and you see it particularly in creative industries where, um, you know, in particular places and times, there's a whole group of people, of artists who hang out together and they, you know, produce this amazing body of music or, or mm. painting, etc. And I'm... I get the sense from you and the the kind of network that you have, especially in social media, but also extending to real life, that 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 sense of seniors is actually really important. Um, in that that you have a lot of people that that you obviously um, see as friends, but also are collaborators on side projects, are probably um, you know, mentors or friend tours, as I think Claire Bowditch um, calls yeah. them. Um, so I'm kind of interested in, in your views about the, the kind of like the community that you've, that you've found yourself in, particularly around that social innovation, um, kind of space. Yeah. So I love, I love that idea of a, of a senior. Um, so that was probably the main motor for me 
motivator for me moving to Melbourne in the first place was I was on Twitter and I looked at my Twitter feed and I realized everyone I wanted to be in the company of was physically in Melbourne. And I was like, why am I here? Why am I not in Melbourne? That's ridiculous. Um, and part of the motivation for me to move to San Francisco is I did a head count and I have 23 close friends who have moved to San Francisco in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's, you know, and, and they're not in Melbourne anymore, actually, like they've, they've moved from Melbourne. Um, and yeah. And so, so that is actually really important because it's the, it's not necessarily the, the professional collaborations or whatever, but it's the the venting over beers or the, you know, oh, you should totally just have a chat with this dude, you know, or, or this chick's really awesome. And, you know, it's all those um, things you don't plan to spark by being around people who um, inspire you and or, or challenge you or, con- you know, conflict with your ideas. Um, you need to be physically close to them to, to get that. And sometimes you can get that within a workplace and that's awesome. Um, but then if you can't, you kind of need it coming from somewhere so that's where the side projects definitely come in Mm. what's your advice for someone who who wanted to pursue a side project where do you find a side project how do you get started in one well you know it's funny actually I I'm going to take your question and just modify it slightly um I actually watched someone who um decided she needed to be a part of a seniors a few years ago um and watching her do that was impressive like to actually have intent around the type of people you want to be around to create the type of work you want to be in mm-hmm. um I like she just she'd happened to mention she's like you know what I really think I want to do this and she just hacked away and she she found people and she just with with quite strong conviction was like hey I want to help you how can I help you with 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 what you're working on and she'd volunteer her time or she'd, um, you know, just, just reach out to people and say, Hey, I really, I like what you have to say about that. And, um, and over time she, like she's now, she has spent a time as an expert within that field. Um, and it was just incredible, but it was just that, Oh, that's what I want. And I'm going to go and get that. And yeah. the fact that you can do that socially, cause we talk about it in terms of career, like you get a career qualification. Um, you know, oh, I want, I want to be a, a doctor. I will study medicine. Um, whereas she was like, I want to work in this field, you know, using her professional expertise. I think she, um, she was a writer, I think, or a marketer. Um, and just watching her go, well, I want to work on this type of work or this industry and just grow that. I was like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I think that's actually how, um, I think that's how Austin Cleon, that's where maybe I came across this term seniors because that's how he talks about suggesting that that's how people are better to go away and and think about finding their passion is not to think kind of like, what should I do? But Mm. to find the seniors that they want to be part of and say, what does that seniors need? And like, what what can I offer and and fill those gaps? Um, So that sounds like exactly what this, this woman did is that she kind of found the, the space, the people, the group that she wanted to be part of and, and just yeah, filled something. She just that went group. there. She was just yep. She's like, I'm here. I'm turning up, and I'm I'm going to be a part of this, and I'm going to help. And not yeah. not in a not in an abrasive way, just in a very genuine way. And people were really yeah, just like, all right, come on in. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes so, that, that takes yeah. bravery, right? Like yeah. to um 
to kind of see a group, especially a group that you perceive as experts, and to to approach them, to put your hand up, um, to to make contact. Well, there's definitely, um, you know, she had a high admiration for this this group of people, mm. um, and so it's really hard sometimes to talk to people that you admire because, I, I mean, I know, <laughs> I was telling someone the other day that when I am accidentally talking to someone that I ridiculously admire, I become really quiet, and I actually can't speak. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and it's not, um, it's yeah, it's just this sort of if I say anything, I'll I'll mess it up, um, so I just won't say anything at all. And um, the person I was telling just looked at me and went, yeah, but think about the message that you're sending when yeah. you're standing there not saying anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like that's not really you, Sarah. That's like a bigger risk, yeah. Yeah. To, to, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fine to say that, but at the time I'm just like starstruck by mm. these people. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so, yeah, just the guts it takes to talk to people in that way that you admire, but the payoff is massive. She's now, you know, she's one of them and, and they now admire her, so it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I want to talk to you, just before we started recording, I was um, kind of recalling one of the last conversations that we had when we, I think, last saw each other in person, and that was around the well, my desire at the time to figure out what my what my occupation was. I you know, previously worked in a lot of generalist-type roles in, in government, and I wanted to know what, what label I could apply to myself and what I could call myself, and... And I was interested in your thoughts about that, given that you, I guess you have this marketer kind of label that you use occasionally, mm-hmm. but your roles incorporate so much more. And and often the roles that you're doing are almost roles that you've created or shaped in some way. So do you have a like a similar desire to have a, an occupation or a job title or, or how do you reconcile that? Well, it's... It's interesting because we have been talking about side projects and it is quite convenient to have, you know, a little group of um, activities that you've done so that when people say, you know, who are you or, or what, what's your role, you can almost use the one that suits. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, in, but that's fine retrospectively, like what have I done? In terms of who I am and where am I going, that's the part that scares me. And it's sort of hard because I'm a – I'm a very strategic thinker, so I'm always planning, um, you know, start with the end, work your way backwards, and it's really hard to sort of work out, well, it's all right to say I'm under this marketing banner or whatever, but what does that actually mean in terms of future career paths? Like, am I still going to be saying I'm a marketer in 10 years? And if so, is that a director of marketing for a non-profit or for a multi-million dollar startup or you know like what does that mean um and so I I've had to become comfortable with the idea that if I'm going to sit on the edge then the the goalposts always move Mm -hmm. um and you know it when we, t- you know, when I was talking about that idea of digital wealth, I know I'm wealthy enough to not need to worry. <laughs> mm. um, and other people, you know, y- y- to, to other people who are listening, particularly people who might be um, growing um, within their career, um, there is sort of a tipping point where you can go, well, I'll, I'll always have work. Like I think, you know, in theory, I have enough skills that I could always sell those skills. Um, 
and there's sort of a comfort in that and I just have to take that as my safety net yeah (laughs) um that you know that I'll always be okay does it really matter what I call myself I'm not sure the thing is is that's okay from a safety perspective but as opposed to am I reaching my full potential you know there's the idea of can you reach your full potential if you don't know what to call it or what that is or Mm. how far you can push I, I don't know so sometimes I just want something that I could explain to my grandparents what I oh if I do you know oh, <laughs> I'm a you, teacher you I'm a you, should, you know you should call my parents my dad just every time makes up something new <laughs> oh I, I should do that I should I should call them and say what does Sarah do and just see that what their take on it is that would be it's so funny. hilarious because and then they'll tell me that I'm like you know I bumped into such and such down the shops the other day and they asked me what you're up to, so I told them this, and they want me to, like, verify whether that was close. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Every a great time. idea for, like a, like, a little podcast series where you just interview, particularly Gen Y people, and you just ask yeah. them what they do for work, and then you call their parents and, um, yeah. and, and just do the comparison. <laughs> oh, the thing is, my parents would probably be like, okay, who wants to know? Is it the government? Is it a landlord? Right. Is it you know? <laughs> they they pull out the 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 appropriate <laughs> the script. reference sheet. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty funny. But I'm yeah. And then actually, it's funny talking about my parents. So when we talk about side projects, um, even things like I'm an Airbnb host at the moment, uh-huh. and um, you know even that. So even when I don't have necessarily active side projects, I've realised that I do. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's even just the the result of living in a connected world is that we talk about, you know, work-life balance or blurring the lines between nine and five, but the thing is that it's it's almost easier to participate in things outside your job these days because um, you can do them digitally or, you, you know, there might be other ways to enable connection to communities. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know, I think that's pretty great. <laughs> I just I just wanted to say how great that is Claire I don't know about you <laughs> yeah no it's great I, I mean I I personally hate the the idea of work-life balance because I I think hang on work is part of my life and my life yeah. impacts on my work and I think that your experience in particular is a great demonstration of that that you can't quite um put put your work in a neat little package and you know your life in a different package clearly your sense of who you are and your satisfaction is deeply entrenched in, in what you do for work. And, and um, yeah, I just don't think that they can they can kind of be unscrambled. Yeah, and I, I don't know. The other thing that I do find difficult is, as I mentioned earlier, I do do a bit of, you know, going to events and turning up and that, that real genuine connection with people and, and that that becomes marketing because they go, oh, sorry, where do you work? You run, you, you're currently working out of a co-working space. Oh, cool. Can I, can I come and, you know, can I come and hang out there and see what that's like? Um, doing that is so much cheaper, so much more valuable, higher return than any sort of Facebook ad could ever offer. But the problem is, is that I do find that when, um, when things do involve a social, you know, so much of me as an individual, it can be, that that is actually very hard to balance because you know if I'm um if I'm asked to go to a networking event then it's like well okay so I'm going to be here for three hours do I still have to work my regular 40 hour week Mm. um you know yet I could choose not to go to that event and yet it's the best marketing I could do for the whole week um and so there's there's a little bit of a challenge 
I'm not a scalable person. And so when I take roles that involve um, actually using a lot of me and who I am, um, that can actually take away from my time to do stuff that I want to do as a side project. So, yeah, And do you know. notice when that gets out of whack, like yeah. in terms of what your your mental health or your energy? Oh, yeah, I get grumpy. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, cause, and then I get to the point where I'm like, well, why, like, why can't you see the value that this is, you know, that, yeah, I don't know, what, why, why is this unclear? I don't know, there's this whole thing around, and it's a bit of a previous generation thing that it's like, well, we work from nine to five, but you're still expected to attend social things after work, which is fine as long as they're not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and every second Sunday. Um, whereas the role that I'm moving into, um, hopefully, I'm still locking that down, but in San Francisco, um, that will actually be the core part of the role. So managing that is a much easier conversation because when that's when that's the part that's expected. It's not just um, an, an add-on that, yeah. that kind of grows over time and isn't explicitly addressed. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I just, I just kind of think that's a bit shit because there's a lot of people who that is a fundamental part of their role and yet it's the least appreciated. Um, you know, it's the thing that we have the choice to take away. It's like, all right, fine, I won't go to your events. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, hang on a minute. Have you not worked out that that's that's very valuable? Yeah. Um, you know, things like we were talking about um, the Global Service Jam. Um, that might not have been tied to your work specifically, and it wasn't tied to mine at the time. But you know, the value that can be generated from those things and hackathons and all these interesting professional but social events that are happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think that sort of work-life balance question goes even further then because it's it's hang on, all right, cool. Can you can you go be social and and um, grow our our professional network for this organisation, please? And how mm. do you how do you negotiate that? So so when you're giving so much of yourself, both to your work and your your side projects, and you mentioned that you know at points where it kind of gets out of whack that that you get grumpy mm. um so what do you do what what are the strategies you use to actively n- notice that and to um to, to balance that well one of the things I did is I'm not on Facebook um mm. so that was a clear decision that I made because I'm because I'm dealing with so many people all the time um I didn't want Facebook's algorithms determining you know, um, I guess, or having such an impact on my emotional state at any point in time. Um, cause you know, you log into Facebook and you don't know what's going to come up. Um, and that could always throw me quite, quite easily. Yeah. Um, I don't tell prospective employers I'm not on Facebook <laughs> and, uh, but, but that was something that, um, I went to Bhutan and the, the school kids, they call their meditation brain brushing. And that's one of the activities that I think of as brain brushing is, um, you know, not being on Facebook keeps my brain clean. <laughs> um, and you found yeah, it to be a largely like a, a positive thing. Yeah, it's that. worked yeah. out really well for me. I mean, it's I've put um, extra investment in other social networks like Twitter and um, Instagram. And sometimes I don't get invited to things, but I think that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but that, that's been a very big um, productivity thing for me. Um, yeah, and I'm, I can't say in the last three years that I've had really any situation where I'm like, damn, that's really bad that I didn't do that. So that's one. And then in terms of actually managing it, um, yeah, I guess I'm not – it's something that I'd like to improve on is, is how to 
to manage that overwhelm. But I think, um, yeah, I think that's when the side projects become really important because then I go, well, hang on a minute. These are the things. Here's the list of things that actually matter to me um, versus the things that other people want, you know, want me to, to worry about. Um, and how do I, how do I just feel that I'm giving enough to the things that mean something to me rather than having things taken away from me, mm. which is, which is so how I look at it, which is probably not, <laughs> it's probably not, it's a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's always about yeah managing, um, like making sure that things are continuing to enrich you rather than being a kind of a toxic drain on you. And sometimes, sometimes that requires like a conscious check-in because yeah. things can evolve over time and then like suddenly you wake up and you, like, you're resenting all of these things that you're doing or you have experiences of, of overwhelm, like you said. Um, so it's kind of good to, to be, be doing the, the regular check-ins so that you, you're not getting to those, those breaking points. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So one of the final questions that I wanted to ask is that you mentioned that you're a planner. And so I'm interested in this idea of career planning and what that looks like to you, how you yeah. do it and who helps you do it. So, yeah, I um, saw a TED talk by Philip Zimbardo, one of the um, one of the world's great psychologists, and um, he talks about like our different perceptions of time, and uh, some people are past negative or past positive, um, and I'm a future positive thinker. So um, I like like I, I derive a lot of satisfaction from planning ahead. Um, because I think about the future as being a positive place. So for me, um, I, I sort of always like to be able to see about, like my time horizon is two years. Um, and if I can't see what I'm doing in the next three months, I actually feel a bit ill. Um, and so I like to lock things in sort of in three monthly chunks and two year chunks more sort of for, for the career planning stuff. Um, beyond that, I just think so many things could change, you know, in terms of technology or whatever else that I can't, I can't plan that far ahead. Um, and so that's really thinking about, okay, what role am I in now? What next actions can I take? And that sort of looks about at the next three months. And then do I still see myself here in two years? Yes or no. And if so, what do I want to get done in this organization in that period of time? Um, and then work backwards from there and, and, reflect that back as to to what I need to do today to make that happen um and that's just something that's that's just how my brain works like I can almost physically see those things um but any longer than that and I just that's just a that's a wild guess really (laughs) so do you do you write this down does this take a particular form do you journal it How, how do you um how do you go through this kind of thinking process and and how do you if at all do you do you document that so it actually, it's weird, um, and it's only really in talking to you now that I'm thinking about it, but um, the way it usually crops up is in an Excel spreadsheet and a budget. <laughs> so um, I always think about, well, if I want that to, to happen, how much money do I need? Um, and that's either personally or at work. And then how do I get the money to make those things happen? So that goes, yeah, that goes for side projects, that goes for personal, and it goes for professional life. Um, because if I can't get the money to make what I want happen, then it, you know, all the resources, then it probably won't happen. So, so, um, so when you say make what I want happen, that could be like a, a personal thing. Like I want to go on a overseas holiday, or I want to do that kind of thing as well. Is that what? Yeah, you're, definitely. Yeah. Um, it could be I want to do an overseas holiday. It might be 
I want to run this particular event for Girl Geek Academy, so I'm mm-hmm. going to need this much sponsorship or this many people to turn up or mm-hmm. whatever else. And then with work, it might be, you know what, I really think we should do this type of marketing campaign and I think that we could affect this sort of change with it. And to affect X amount of change, I need Y amount of budget and Z amount of time. Um, and I get really frustrated, <laughs> I've realised, when people don't allocate the right amount of time to doing something. Um, and so that's why I like to see that far ahead because nothing shits me more than when someone turns around and goes, oh, great, we're doing that next week. And I go, well, if you wanted to promote it properly or healthily or have the right amount of people turn up, you should have, you know, you can't do it next week. I'm sorry, but mm. you, you're going to have a shit event. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that just doesn't sit well with me. And that's not something that I think was naturally part of who I am, but it's just lessons learnt over time that you, that you have to plan that far ahead. Um, but, yeah, then in terms of career, it's funny because with the two-year mark, it's kind of like, you know, if you just slightly shift the steering wheel, then you'll eventually be going in a completely different, different direction, whereas, like, if, you know, if I if I want to be somewhere in two years, if I start, you know, just start moving the steering wheel that direction now, then in two years I can I can get there if it's a different path to the one that I'm on. Um, and I just find that's sort of a healthy timeline to do those things. Yeah. And do you have people that you would call mentors or, or people that you that you use to help you with that that two year planning process? Yeah, but um, I sort of always bring in. Um, different people for different parts so you know there's like the the more personal relationship type friends that you have conversations with but they're always multiple friends so always mm-hmm. multiple consultations you know it's like yep. okay okay advisory board you know I, I want to you know <laughs> talk to you about this this or this um and I'm lucky to have a large pool of people to draw from and they, they vary in age um so you know a, a number of senior managers that I've had or um people that I've collaborated with who are s- sort of a bit older and a bit um because you know I can be a bit oh yeah let's go do it now let's do this next week um yeah and then and then they'll be like well you know don't worry this this you know this time will change or whatever um and then through to even just a lot of younger people so I'm now sitting at 31 and um I love talking to people around the age of 24 25 because they've got you know they're just starting to get those professional skills up but they still have all the optimism Mm -hmm. and they know that they're sitting on a wealth of time before they quote unquote settle down or anything like that um and so they'll just be like well why wouldn't you do this and you know just a bit more gung-ho about things so yeah that that breadth of age is really important and my mum um so yeah I think uh talking things through with my mum she's um she's a she's how do I say it? Uh, she's sort of a mentor in she'll she'll put the more conservative approach on things, and if I can convince her that something's okay, then I feel like that's that that it's well thought through. You've done the full risk assessment. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So between all those all those sorts of people. Um, so you, you mentioned the the jokingly the the notion of an advisory board, but I see a lot of articles kind of recommending that that people do kind of pursue a personal advisory board. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to get together for formal board meetings, but this idea that you you do kind of strategically pick um, a number of people in your in your network and that that you actively seek advice from time to time. 
Like, how does that look like for you? Do you just kind of ring up people and go and have lunch with them? Or, or what do you actually do to um, engage the people in your network ar- around these questions that you have about career? Yeah, so, I mean, it is it is just um, catching up with the people that I, I, I want advice from at the right time. So sometimes, you know, like there's probably a lot of my mentors who could offer similar advice, but they deliver it in different ways, you know. So um, sometimes I do just want to go for a beer and hear what someone has to say, um, you know, whereas other times it might, it might be about collaborating on something to unlock, unlock the ideas that I've sort of not been saying out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually one, one thing that is interesting is um, this concept of the elderberry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I, I have an elder. <laughs> okay. And this is um, like through a, a for, through the formal matching elderberry program. Um, it it isn't. Um, so she's a part of the elderberry program, and right. she told me about it. Um, and I was like, oh wow, yeah, you are totally my elder, right? Like that's yeah. you know, it was just it wasn't even a question that that that's the relationship that we have. Um, and it's not that we necessarily see each other frequently. Um, but it is good to know that if, if I need that, if I need to, it's good to know that there's, if I need that, it's there, um, when, and if I need it. So I, I, I'm not so much, you know, if you think of an advisory board, they have regular scheduled meetings and minutes yeah. and you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you don't the, put your friends through that. No, no. I mean, yeah. I could, that would be hilarious. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so I, I think having that diversity of mentors is really important, um, obviously. <laughs> um, and then I did have also, this is probably the wrong way around, but, um, jokingly had the Sarah's ex-bosses, um, meetup group. Oh, nice. <laughs> which is, <laughs> what was that just for them to kind of yeah. like, like a, like, Their own support was group. a support group <laughs> recovery session, which I thought was quite hilarious, but that was a team of my mentors okay. and, you know, and, and we did actually, you know, we have actually all gone out to lunch a couple of times. Right. Um, but, that, but it's really cool for, you know, for them to have me as the common investment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of nice. And, you know, it is actually interesting if you could get your advisory board together, like that's that's almost what I was doing and it's that's an interesting experience too. So, yeah, I don't laugh that off as an idea. But, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, great. Well, we might um, wrap up there. This has been so fun to talk to you and I've got like I've scribbled down all of these ideas that I'm going to follow up as well. So thank you so much. And if people want to find out more about the Girl Geek Academy, where can they go to find that? Yeah, so um, girlgeekacademy.com. Um, is our website. We've got all our social um, networking profiles off the back of that. Um, We also run Girl Geek Dinners in Melbourne, which happens on a monthly basis, Um, and that's how Girl Geek Academy started. Um, But, yeah, um, and we're on Twitter and all of that sort of stuff, and we, um, we would love to hear from anyone who'd be interested in being a Girl Geek with us. And all the best for the um, the move to, to San Francisco. Yeah. Fingers crossed that it will happen and I can come and visit. Yeah, exactly. That's that's actually, I'm not doing Airbnb over there. I'm just going to get a, a studio apartment. So whenever anyone turns up, actually, that's it. That's a call out to your listeners. If any, if ever any of your listeners are heading to San Francisco and you need a couch to sleep on, please don't hesitate. <laughs> Great. So, but people can find you, not on Facebook, but you're on Twitter. Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? I'm at Sarah Moran, that's Sarah with an H. Um, yeah, Twitter is probably the, the best way to reach me, but also you can drop me an email at sarahmoran1 at gmail.com. 
Beautiful. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. This is a this is a great idea. I, I'm going to um, be a long term subscriber of this podcast. I think. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Links to the various things Sarah and I spoke about, including Girl Geek Academy, Philip Zimbardo's TED Talk on the psychology of time, and further details about the origins of the word seniors, can be found at womentalkwork.com slash episode 6. If you'd like to hear more Women Talk Work, you can subscribe via iTunes or stream via the website. That's womentalkwork.com. Be sure to like the Facebook page to receive notifications of new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be delighted if you could share it with others. If you've got any comments, feedback, or perhaps you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of Women Talk Work, you can contact me via the Women Talk Work website, or you can tweet me at Claire A. Conroy. Thanks to YWCA Canberra for their support for the podcast through the Great Ideas Small Grants Program. Bye.